Today's guest is so fun. She works with purpose-driven founders on their brand messaging strategies so that they can grow their business and their impact. She comes to entrepreneurship from the international development and nonprofit sectors and as a conscious consumer. So we're going to talk all about what conscious consumers want so that you can be a little more conscious as a consumer and so that companies know exactly what we're looking for. She's based in central Illinois, but she works with clients from all over the country and occasionally abroad. And we're going to talk about some of her stories because she has been doing some really incredible work. So I am so excited and honored to introduce you to Ashley Fang. You're listening to the Half Hippie Podcast with Tara Milo. I'm a half hippie, half princess, cat mom, city girl, introvert, and entrepreneur. I don't fit into a box, and you don't either, but I'm committed to making the world a better place through my lifestyle and my business. I love talking about sustainability because I know that you can make a positive difference without giving up the things you love. Here on the Half Hippie Podcast, we're talking about sustainability and entrepreneurship. We'll share stories about what makes us all half hippie and what our other half does to make a positive impact in the world. Let's go. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This is going to be really fun. First of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, your name and what you do and how hippie are you? <laughs> um, well, I am actually saying, and I, I, I've always identified as a hippie, but I always think of myself as like a neurotic hippie um, because I'm like kind of type A, but also like kind of crunchy. Um, in that I really love the zero waste movement and I'm all about like the green beauty and the ethical fashion and like the fair trade, um, and the healthy eating and all of that sort of thing. Um, but I'm also all about the to-do lists and getting stuff done and that sort of thing. So I'm a really weird mix. Um, but it works for me. So, (laughs) yes, I totally identify with that. Like I want everything clean. I am not barefoot. (laughs) but totally hippie on all the other things. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I love the name, like the name half hippie really uh, nails it for, I feel like a lot of people. Oh, good. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like, what do you think a hippie is? Like what, what comes to mind? Well, I think of the sixties or sort of seventies, right. The sort of like free flowing hair, which I often have, um, right now it's a lot shorter than usual, but, uh, or sort of like loose clothes and sort of the free loving. And I'm not really touchy feely in any capacity, but, um, just this idea of, uh, caring about positivity and impact. And I feel like I'm sort of the millennial version of that, where I really care about how my actions affect everything around me. Um, but I do it in a sort of very 21st century way. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) Can you talk a little more about that? Cause I'm Gen X and I love how the millennials are getting stuff done. Yeah. So I would say my main way is through conscious consumerism. That's Mm -hmm. what even sort of really geared my like sort of paved the path of my business that I now run. Um, but I started learning about conscious consumerism when I was actually living in Senegal. Um, somehow I got in some like YouTube rabbit hole. Um, and I learned about, um, green beauty slash non-toxic living 
at the same time as I was learning about ethical fashion, at the same time as I was learning about the zero waste movement and veganism, and it all sort of just snowballed from there. Um, I just couldn't look back. I, I yeah. saw all of these, wow, every single choice I make affects a real human, actually affects the environment in a real way. And so once I knew that, I couldn't unknow that. Shopping secondhand has been the absolute biggest shift. I do everything secondhand that I can find. Um, And then obviously if I can't find it secondhand or just need something new, then I do a lot, a lot of research. Yeah. Yes. I am the same. It, it can get exhausting, but I love how you took that knowledge and turned it into action because otherwise it just feels like everything is horrible and there's nothing I can do. But when we can take action and make it fun. Like I love secondhand shopping and making it a challenge and like, I don't know, just making it fun. And like you said, the rest of the stuff is an investment, right? You think about it, you research, you Mm want to buy something that's really good, making a good impact. Yeah. And there's never a perfect solution, right? But there's always a better option and there's always something that you can feel good about and like hopefully there's something out there that aligns with what you care most about because that also varies from person to person right like we all have different things that are sort of foremost and then everything sort of lines up behind that as well so just finding the 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 best combination for you at that time is all you can do yeah exactly I do love how how your generation is doing conscious (laughs) consumerism I see it a lot more um, with people who are a little younger than me and you guys are demanding better stuff. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so cool. Very admirable. I like it. Yeah. So I just, that got me thinking, um, about, so I sort of got into the consumer side, but I'm continually impressed by the business side. So like these mm-hmm. founders that just have this vision of, no, I can do this better. Um, yes. They're the ones who go and research the supply chain and travel around the world or talk with the top scientists or whatever needs to be done. Um, I think those people are so admirable too, because they're really getting in there and, and being the change that they want to see. Um, yeah. So that then on the consumer side, it's so much easier for us because there are now options because before there really weren't, or I don't know, like maybe there were, if it was a hyper local, you know, one person, I don't know, like workshop or something. Right. But I I love the scale now that it's becoming a lot more accessible. Yeah, that's true. It's a bigger tent and people are finding problems and solving them by creating new businesses, which is perfect. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned Senegal. What were you doing in Senegal? That's cool. Yeah. So it's sort of a long story. Um, It goes all the way back to college, actually. I I was studying abroad in Senegal and I met my now husband. Um, Okay. Not the plan. But um, I moved to Senegal directly after graduation because, you know, I was desperate to be reunited. Um, So I did, I I had a job. I didn't just up and move. Um, I worked with an NGO called Tostan for all four years that I was there. Um, And they are a human rights education NGO. And they do really amazing work. The founder is actually from a town in Illinois, like an hour or two away from me. And she moved to Senegal over 40 years ago and just never left. Um, 
Yeah, she's a really amazing woman. Uh, so I started out as her assistant actually. And then I sort of found my way to the communications department and that launched the rest of my career. Um, yeah. So yeah, four years in Senegal, it was, um, it was definitely a formative time of my life. Oh, that's awesome. What is your business? Tell us more about that. Yeah. Um, so it's called Ashley Sane Consulting. I work with purpose-driven founders on especially their brand messaging strategy yeah. so that they can grow their impact and their business. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned that I got into this whole sort of social impact sector um, via conscious consumerism. And the more I learned, the more I realized, okay, I'm just a drop in the bucket. My consumer dollars can only go so far. Um, But if I'm able to support these businesses who are doing amazing work um, and these founders who are just visionaries, right? Like they just care about the people that they're serving. Um, If I'm able to support those types of people and businesses, then my personal impact is much greater. I'm yeah. helping them have much more impact because they have better messaging. They have better marketing. They, they reach the people that they're trying to reach more effectively. Yeah. Um, and so that's the path that I've sort of been on um, since I, I was freelancing on the side and then I took my business full time. And then I really leaned into this working with these visionaries who just care about their purpose here on earth. Right. That's awesome. Where do you find your clients or how do they find you? All over. Um, So I love it when they find me. That's like the magic of SEO, right? (laughs) Uh, When that happens, I'm thrilled. But generally um, it's from relationships. So either past clients or just other amazing entrepreneurs I've met. Um, That's been one of my favorite things about owning a business is meeting other service providers. Um, Mm -hmm. I never used to like to network. But now that I have something to talk about with people and sort of commiserate with and, and actually be able to be of use to them by sending them referrals, um, I really, really love hearing their stories. So quite often it's that way. And then otherwise it's just like online communities. Um, Mm -hmm. So Slack groups, I used to do Facebook groups um, or other sorts of, I'm part of 1% for the planet. So I've had a few leads from networking calls from there. Um, yeah, just getting out there. It's, um, I, I saw on your website that you're an introvert. So yeah. am I, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so it's not the most fun to put myself out there, but it's sort of a necessary evil. Um, and I'm always happy when it, when it does pan out. So, yeah, exactly. But I have found the entrepreneur community to be so supportive, right? Mm-hmm. Like you would think they would be really competitive, but it has been so incredibly supportive. We all just want to lift everybody up and it's it's been incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what's something that you do? We talked a little bit about the things you do that are hippie, but what's definitely like not hippie, something that you do? I don't know, something not hippie. I just am a little bit, like I said, neurotic. Like mm-hmm. I, I tend to be a little bit of like a worry wart or like a little bit anxious about stuff. Um, so I'm not, I'm definitely a live and let live uh, in a lot of ways, but yeah. A, if I get riled up about something, like if I see injustice in any way, it's just sort of like in my DNA to get riled up about it. Yeah. Um, but then also uh, I'm not great at, live and let live for my own life. 
Um, yes. <laughs> I try to control things that I cannot control, um, which it's one thing to know it and it's a whole other thing to do it. So that sort of thing, sort of like controlly things are not very hippie, but I just can't seem to get over it. Yes, I'm the same way. That's so funny. I've never thought about it that way, but like live and let live, but not me. I yeah. need it to be this way. Yeah, I need to do better. I need to, yeah, yes. but everyone else can just do what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah, which I think is a cool perspective because we hold ourselves to a higher standard, but we're not going to judge other people, right? Mm -hmm. Like you do your thing and that's cool, but I'm going to do. I don't know. I'm going to try to do my very best. Something that really cured me of that like type A personality thing was moving to Portugal. I live in Lisbon now Ooh. and like stuff doesn't always work. You probably had the same experience in Senegal mm -hmm. where you expect something to work and it doesn't. And you can either get really, really stressed out about it or you can go, okay, it doesn't work. And you have to choose to relax. Otherwise you'll always be stressed out. That's, that's was my experience anyway. <laughs> yeah. I learned that exact same lesson. Um, I, I imagine the infrastructure in Senegal is even uh, slower than <laughs> in Portugal. So uh, patience uh, is something I've never had, but I definitely learned it in yeah. uh, I, I made leaps and bounds in patience when I lived in Senegal um, it's also, I, I really love living abroad and just traveling abroad because um, it's amazing what things are so difficult in the U.S. and are mm -hmm. so, so easy abroad and then yes. vice versa, right? So you expect because you come from the U.S., this should be super easy. Um, like I remember paying our water bill was such a to-do. Um, I always sent my husband, but it was such a, it was like an all day thing for him to have to manage. Um, and in America, you know, it's just auto pay, right. Um, right. versus, um, I don't know, he could, uh, we could get something super quick, um, and, and bypass all the red tape in Senegal. Whereas in America, you have to call four agencies. Et <laughs> so I love, I love, um, the perspective that time abroad gives to us. Yes, I do too. It's all positive. Like we joke about things not working, but it only makes us better people. It's even basic stuff. Like a person is holding an event, but then they're not really. So you show up for their event and they're not there. And it's like, okay, I guess <laughs> they're not doing it. <laughs> Got some fresh air on the way there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. You have to be flexible. It, it was, it's a good lesson. <laughs> I'm curious about something that frustrates you within the industry, like this sustainability movement. What's something that frustrates you about that? Uh, well, a few things. The, the first thing that comes to mind is greenwashing. Yes. Um, so that's, it's not really in the sustainability industry. It's like all the periphery around it. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, I really hate how people can usurp these terms and these colors and, and, you know, put on their little marketing magic and the, the average consumer doesn't do tons and tons of research, right. Or they don't know what to look out for. So they fall prey to something that's highly toxic or yeah. just highly polluting. And, uh, they think they're making the best choice. So I think that's so, so frustrating and I just don't think that the onus should be put on the consumer. I think we right. have enough things to do. And I think it should really be on the business to make those standards uh, high. 
Yep. Um, and then sort of along those lines, even within the sustainability sector, there's no definition, right, of uh, what is clean, what is green, um, so not only does that make it easier to greenwash, but yeah. it also makes it really hard to substantiate things. And it, it, it just is difficult when not everyone is speaking the same language or working from the same data points. Mm. Um, it's, it's hard to create a movement that's disjointed. Right. That's true. Yeah. The greenwashing thing is frustrating for sure. Because like they just make their bottle beige and put some green leaves on it and call it. <laughs> it's like that yeah, doesn't the, make it yeah. better. Yeah. Or like the word clean literally means nothing. It could have every single toxic ingredient there is yeah. and they can say new clean formula and someone will buy it and think that they're making a, a good choice for their health and for their environment. And it just really stinks. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I just feel like that that shouldn't be allowed. Yeah, I think it's a little too hippie that everything is allowed. <laughs> we mm -hmm. should have some standards and some definitions mm -hmm. of things. I do think sometimes people go a little bit overboard when they're criticizing greenwashing because sometimes companies are making a step in the right direction mm -hmm. and people are like, they're greenwashing, but like they can't change their whole entire business model today. So we can mm -hmm. be encouraging and appreciative when they do make a good change but you're right like because there's no standard definition or data points there's no way to know or I don't know have any type of consistency with that yeah yeah mm -hmm. I do think progress over perfection in general is yes. is a good philosophy um again I think especially for consumers yes. um and then also, like, I understand that um, especially smaller companies might not have the budget to um, completely change their packaging right away, or, yeah. you know, they have to deplete their entire stock. Otherwise, they'll just be losing money and they won't be able to serve the people that they're trying to serve to begin with, right? Like maybe the product inside is amazing and, and it's non-toxic, but the packaging isn't. Or um, maybe, I don't know, there are all all sorts of like waves of progress that that companies could ride. Um, but I do think the ones with the most resources are able to get away with doing the least, um, which true. is super annoying. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> What's something that you wish people knew about this industry? Like how can people be a little more conscious consumers when it's so difficult? What do you think? Yeah. Um, so I found my way to conscious consumerism sort of in the peak or just after the peak of blogging. Um, uh -huh. So I really leaned on bloggers. Mm -hmm. um, I learned so much. And I mean, now they're on Instagram too. And so they have plenty of resources on Instagram. Um, but I learned so much about words to look out for, ingredients to look out for, packaging, like I learned so much from these people who took the time to research. So that's yeah. what I recommend for people who are just dipping their toe in. Um, two things. One is find a trusted resource. Yeah. Um, find a blogger, an Instagrammer, some sort of, you know, influencer of some sort, content creator mm -hmm. who has spent the dozens and hundreds of hours researching so that you don't have to. Yes. They've refined a nice comprehensive list of things to look out for and things to avoid. And then of course you can read their reasoning 
and make your own choices based on your own values. Um, and then second to that, um, the sort of very easy, lazy way is just shop secondhand um, yes. for, for whatever you can, right? Um, that doesn't fix every problem in every sort of category. Right. But um, if you don't want to have to research the ethics of the company, secondhand yes. is generally the, the fastest shortcut. That is so true. That's really good advice. Yeah. I feel good. Like I picked up a leather backpack the other day, even though I'm vegan and I'm like, <laughs> is this okay? I think it is because it's secondhand. Like I'm not the reason for this and I'm giving it a second life and it feels yeah. good because it's secondhand. So I buy anything I want secondhand mm -hmm. that I would never buy as the original purchaser, the original consumer of that thing. And it just feels so good, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, the impact has already been had. Right. right. And yep. so like, like I tend, our closets are very full. We like, we like yes. a lot of clothes in this household, yes. um, but I don't feel bad about it because these clothes already existed, right? Like they were either going to be in the landfill or my closet. So I'd mm -hmm. rather them have a chance to be worn in my closet than know that they'll be sent to the landfill or to places like Kenya and Senegal and all of these places that yeah. the secondhand uh, clothing industry is actually destroying the local clothing industry. So, um, yes. I would rather sort of, um, snatch those out of the, the <laughs> like chain, like the downward spiral and give it a second life. Yes, exactly. I think a lot of people don't realize that when their clothes get sent to another country, it does damage their economy mm -hmm. because they should be making clothes in their, their own economy. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. it's not always great. Yeah. I mean, the secondhand industry is not perfect by any mm -hmm. means, but I still right. think it's a better solution in a lot of ways. And then if you're not even buying from a thrift store, but you're buying from Facebook marketplace or you're buying from yeah. Craigslist or like some other human that, you know, um, even better, right? Because then you absolutely know exactly where it's coming from. And you absolutely know that it's ending up with you. Um, yep. and there's no sort of middle industry to, have anything go awry. What's your favorite thing to talk about with brands and how they can make their messaging stronger? Yeah. Um, so I really lead when I, when I do brand messaging strategy, I really lead with two things, the brand values, because mm -hmm. that's, that's what the brand stands for. That's what the founder cares about. That's the culture they're creating if they have a team. Um, and that's, what's attracting their audience, right? Yeah. So like those brand values are so, so important. Um, you need to stand for something these days. Um, mm -hmm. I and mean, we've seen that, especially last summer, people, not people, brands were making statements and you could tell when they were empty and you could tell when they weren't because yep. it was clearly aligned with their values and their actions or it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and so leading with those values, both in your decisions and your actions, but of course, in your messaging is so, so important. Mm -hmm. um, and really like teasing out and refining what are those values. Mm -hmm. um, those really set you apart from other brands. Yep. Um, so I really like to lead with values. And then I absolutely believe in audience centric messaging, yep. audience centric marketing, audience centric operational decisions, right? Like if you are making decisions because of your personal preferences as the garment designer or as the founder or whatever else, then unless your audience is 
literally an exact replica of you, um, you're making the wrong decision or you aren't necessarily making the best decision. So I really like to spend time defining who is the audience, who is it that we're trying to serve, who is it that if we reach that one person, everything is going to be aligned. Um, And it's so scary. I have personally gone through this. It's so scary to niche down and choose that one person, that that target audience, um, because you think you're like boxing yourself in. Um, But I like to think of it as a bullseye where that that target audience, that ideal customer is obviously the bullseye, the dead center. Um, of course, you will attract other people beyond that, right? Like no one gets the, the, the perfect shot every time. Um, and so you can absolutely still serve people who are similar, but not quite perfect. Um, but really, if you aim for that perfect person, um, when you do hit them, it just makes everything so much smoother. They're going to be thrilled with what you offer. They're going to refer people just like them. They're going to refer people who are slightly different from them. So again, sort of wider on that bullseye. Um, yeah. so values and audience are really the center of, of the strategies that I do. Yeah. I love it that you're talking about both of those things, because I do think when I talk to people about marketing strategy, they're afraid to talk about their values and like, nobody cares about that, but people really do care. We want to know what the values are. So yeah, that's a perfect starting point. And you're totally right. Niching down always (laughs) wins. Like it just, it always helps. Yeah. Are you optimistic about the future of climate change and sustainability and all of this? Uh, I think it depends on the day. <laughs> uh, I I think if I like read too many articles or yeah. watch the news too much, I get very anxious. Um, <laughs> so I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, yeah. I, like I really do believe in like humans got us into this mess. So yeah. I believe in humans' ability to get us out of this mess. Um, I also believe that especially with the rise in this sort of younger generation, they really, really care about the future of this planet. And they're, they're coming up in the business world, in the political world, in, in leadership roles in general. Um, So I think that's promising. Um, And I, yes, I, am cautiously optimistic and yeah, like just when I, when I look at all the options we have again, as consumers, or um, just alternatives to the way things have always been done. Um, I, I, I like the prospects of it. Yeah, I feel the same. When I read the news too much or certain stories, it's doom and gloom. But thinking about the younger generation does definitely give me hope. Yeah. It's so true. We can get out of this. And these companies, these small companies that are solving big problems, mm-hmm. they're the ones who are doing it for us. So it's yeah. it's really incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're growing, right? And a lot of them are, uh, you know, for better or worse, getting incorporated from some of the bigger um, organizations. And, mm-hmm. and even, um, even though greenwashing is pervasive, I still think it's kind of a good sign because that shows that the critical mass cares about this, right? So if, I mean, people are cheating now, but I think eventually the scales will tip where 
the changes actually need to be done. Um, so I think it's all a sign of progress, even if we're clearly not there yet. Yes, exactly. That's a really good perspective. I hadn't heard that before. That's cool. I'm wondering, what is something that you wish you were doing better for the planet? Like, I wish I was composting. What's something that you wish you were doing better? Yeah, we tried composting last summer. um, And then we had a very cold winter. And it was full, like our little composter was full. Um, So we haven't done it for quite some time. And I do feel guilty every time I throw away scraps because I'm like, these are so, these could be useful. And now they're like adding to greenhouse gases. But so I do feel bad about that, but I'm like kind of sometimes doing that. Um, And then, oh, actually the thing that I feel worst about um, most recently is since COVID, I can't buy stuff in bulk. Um, So I have to buy a lot more like, packaged stuff. Um, I used to buy all of my seeds and grains and like all kinds of stuff in bulk. And I would bring my own bags and that was that, right? So it was zero waste, um, you know, except for whatever bag the ingredients came into the store. Sure. sure. Um, But now obviously I have to buy much more packaged stuff, um, which like kills me every time a little bit. Um, but I'm sort of like, well, hopefully this is temporary. Right. Yeah. Are your bulk stores closed or are they just? So we didn't have any bulk specific store. I'm not in like a huge city. Okay. Um, we do have um, a couple local grocery stores that have bulk. Um, and I, I, I did get tea once where like I had to tell the attendant and like the person would fill my bag and then, but I don't even think I was able to bring my own bag. Right. Um, so yeah. And then we have a grocery store, I think a couple of grocery stores that have bulk, but they just pre-package their bulk. So mm-hmm. it really defeats the whole purpose. Um, yeah. other than I guess you can buy like less if you didn't need a full normal conventional right. package. I don't know. I don't really understand the, the point of pre-packaging bulk, but, yeah, um, yeah, we have, we don't have very many options currently. Um, so that's frustrating. Yeah. COVID messed up a lot of progress that we were making for the planet. Yeah. My bulk store requires us to use gloves. Fortunately, they're not plastic gloves. Supposedly they're compostable or biodegradable or whatever, but they look like plastic gloves. And I had a fit the first time they made me put them on, but they're not really plastic. So I guess it's okay. But (laughs) yeah, it's been very discouraging this COVID thing. I think that's all I have for you. You're absolutely adorable. I wish we could hang out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, next time I'm in Lisbon, I will, uh, (laughs) I will make sure to let you know. (laughs) Definitely. That's more likely than me going to Illinois. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, you're always welcome here too. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) Do you have any questions for me? Well, I'd love to know sort of your definition of half hippie. We, we sort of talked about mine. Um, but how are you, what's your, what's your half hippie and what's your half not hippie? Yeah. My, my half hippie is similar to you. Like the, the eating, the diet, the secondhand shopping, all of that stuff, living as close to the earth as possible. But I am a princess. I love having a beautiful apartment with nice things. And I like to be clean and just like, (laughs) I'm, I'm a princess and a hippie. (laughs) So I I don't, I don't sacrifice anything, 
but I still feel really good about the things that I buy and the things I do. So it's, it's very half hippie, I think. I love it. And I think, I think if more people were even like 10% hippie, the -hmm. world would be such a better place. So I think half is a beautiful, a beautiful mix to be. Wasn't she fantastic? I just loved that conversation so much. I love the work that she's doing in the world, but also like her own self-awareness. One of my favorite parts was that you know, she's like, live and let live for everyone except herself. I totally resonate with that. And I think a lot of us do. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. Check out her website. It's ashleysang.com. I'll link to it in the show notes here. So you can see the amazing work that she's doing in the world. I love it that she's helping companies, sustainable companies, get their message out into the world so that they can impact even more people. It's such great work and I'm really, really glad that she is in this space and doing this work. And I'm grateful for her for having this conversation with us today about you know, being a, a conscious consumer and being more aware of the things that we do and things we buy and how we take action in the world. So thanks again, Ashley. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode.